It's Saturday, November 19th, 2022, and this is episode 17 of The Mike Newman Show, where once again, Dr. Tim and I meet up for breakfast at our favorite little North Austin eatery and talk about whatever really comes up to mind. And actually, we kind of had a plan. Um, We never quite got where we were going. We were trying to get to space, but uh, like some of those TV shows that they, they kind of tell you where they're going, but it takes you just one more episode to get there. That's what we have today. And actually, it was a pretty interesting conversation, uh, filling a little bit of the details in of the journey between uh, Dr. Tim's first assignment and his second assignment with Slumberjay a few years back. So um, we had a good time. Hope you enjoy the conversation that follows, and I'll catch you at the end. So there we go. Cool. How have you been? It's been a couple of weeks. Our usual. It's been a couple of weeks. It's been uh, it's been good. Uh, cold weather set in, so I've been hunkering down at home and trying to stay warm. Yeah, we actually broke freezing a little mm-hmm. couple days ago, and uh, uh, I tried to get it done properly by running up to Canada and seeing snow and coming back in between. So uh, I'm done with winter. Um, collecting cold air in your suitcase and yeah. bringing it back with you, right? I guess. Yeah, that that was a bummer. Just kind of rainy last night. Anyway. But, um, yeah, so here we are. It's the Saturday before Thanksgiving, and uh, just to kind of drop a mark there. And the last time we discussed, we were discussing your first job at Schlumberger, your first task. And uh, that was basically to get data from well sites back to the decision makers uh, in a more centralized or at least a more easily manageable and better communication of that information and and then decisions back to the field on on where to look next and where to start drilling and basically cut that cost increase the pace of analysis and um yeah just just do a better job of it and and at that point we left it with i I believe tapes coming back from the trucks to the uh to the slumberger office transmitting that data either Looking at it locally, if you had the expert there, or certainly sending it back to Houston, and and then uh, we're going to go on from there because, you know, we like to talk Why about not? space <laughs> exactly. So, go for it. Well, I I, uh, I wanted to make a, uh, a, a a minor correction, but not insignificant uh, correction, uh, and I'll I'll just blame it on uh, faulty memory, uh, but uh, uh, I had. Uh, Observed that uh, that uh, when we got our first mainframe into uh, Houston, mm-hmm. that uh, I'd uh, uh, mentioned that we dealt with a company out of Boston. Okay, uh, and it turns out that uh, uh, I had a correct memory of uh, of dealing with the company, but at the wrong time. Ah, as it turns out. Uh, when we cut the first mainframe in, uh, we were we, we we set out to essentially provide remote job entry mm-hmm. into the mainframe, essentially making a time-sharing machine out of the mainframe. And it turns out that the company that was really good at that at the time uh, was a company called First Data Corporation. Oh yeah. And so, in in fact, the uh, original software that we we uh, we got was from First Data Corporation uh, through uh, a couple of 
of guys that worked for them and, and did. Uh, at that time, you could do time sharing into a mainframe by having a dedicated telephone line into the mainframe and essentially putting a teletype mm-hmm. out of one end of it. But uh, First Data was... Uh, were the, kind of the leaders at the idea of building a, an entire remote job entry station uh, at, a, at a remote location so that you could have not only teletype input in, but you could have line printer output out mm. from the mainframe, and you could actually uh, transmit uh, read and write data tapes, magnetic tapes, off of the remote job entry station from the mainframe. Okay. So in essence, in essence, peripherals could show up at a remote city, mm-hmm. uh, connected it to a remote job entry computer, and that looked to the mainframe like an extension of the mainframe. Right. So you could get uh, uh, terminal input in uh, into the mainframe, and then the mainframe in response could write to a line printer, which was in a remote location, uh, or it could read and write magnetic tape. And so the company that was doing this was First Data Corporation. They their their business at the time was primarily acting as a as a time sharing service for mainframe computers, in particular for Digital Equipment Corporation computers. Interesting. Were they based it, in Omaha at the time? Or uh, yeah, they, okay. they, they, they they were. And and as it turned out, uh, uh, when we got to dealing with them, it turned out that um, the uh, uh, head of the uh, of the, of the company was was uh, a, a, a gentleman that I'd actually gone to undergraduate college with. So one of my very rare instances where uh, someone that I knew was in a position of authority somewhere. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was cool having a conversation. But First Data then is uh, interesting because they, over time, and they may were perhaps were already doing it, but... Over time, they morphed into the preeminent, one of the preeminent uh, credit card processors. Yeah, and that's where I've encountered them, and that's why I was wondering if it all started still there in o- in Omaha. Yeah, where uh, I was it, able to it, visit it, them. It, yeah, yeah, that's that's that that's where it all started. And, okay, and uh, uh, and uh, they were they were as I say they were heavy into time sharing. They mm-hmm. may have already been doing credit card processing by then. I don't know. This would have been in the in the early 1970s, um, mm-hmm. but at any rate, that yeah. uh, so I, I wanted to correct that that uh, that oh, uh, cool. uh, that was the that was the company that we dealt with. I always wondered how they had that name, and and only knowing them as a, a, a credit card issuance, you know, for the banks, you know, just having rooms full of uh, card embossers and mag stripe encoders and racks and racks of credit cards from various banks uh, it was quite an impressive operation and of course they're handling data but i wondered you know when you said yeah they, they basically set up peripheral extensions for uh, mainframe making mainframes accessible at right. a great distance uh, that, that makes good sense it, it does yeah it it, it, it was a, it was a uh uh, as as names of companies go, it was a, yeah. a pretty reasonable name for a company at the time. And they didn't have to fight for a don- domain name or anything like uh, that. And they, yeah, stuff. they did. They <laughs> <laughs> come up with org or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Cool. I, well, I have no idea what they're, what they're, what, um, they're still around today. I have no idea what their, uh, yeah. what their domain name is. Yeah, but. I don't know either. Well, I know they're still here. In fact, there's a, there's a first data office right over by the post office I used to use um, mm-hmm. up here in North Austin. 
And, uh, yeah, so it, one thing I've kind of guess I can just basically assume is that there's at least one high-tech outpost for nearly every high-tech company in Austin, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in the somewhere in the region. Somewhere so, in the region, somewhere. yeah. Very true, very true. Well, cool. So we... Uh, so at this point, you're uh, you're sending the data back in. You're setting up the jobs for the to run it through the analysis, um, getting some output back. You know, here you know here's a printout for the adjustments you need to make on the truck, and these are the coordinates you need to go to, and blah blah blah. Um, <clears throat> what was the next step? So the 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 whole purpose of this was was uh, uh, if you think about it, when you when you drill an oil well. Or a gas well, you you basically uh, first of all send a truck around that that uh, uh, shoots off explosives. Uh, it puts out a lot of sonic uh, microphones, if you will, and mm-hmm. then it shoots off an explosive that sends a sound wave down into the subsurface formation down into the earth. Yep, and it gets reflected, and it gets reflected in slightly different ways depending upon what kind of material it encounters, what kind of rock mm-hmm. it encounters. Mm-hmm. And so you you paint a sonic picture, if mm-hmm. you will, of the subsurface formation. And so people could look at that and say, "Huh, looks this area might contain oil and gas. This area down in the in, in, in sure. the depths of the earth." And so you go drill a well to see whether or not there's oil or gas there. So you you pump punch a hole in the ground mm-hmm. uh, it may be four or five miles long deep uh, you punch a hole in the ground and it's actually very difficult to determine whether or not you've actually uh, encountered oil and gas when you're looking down a four or five mile long hole interesting now the the classic old movies that you uh, the the wildcatters went out and they built their their wooden tower and mm-hmm. they literally punched a hole because the the drill at the time was was just an up and down heavy weight that punched into the ground <laughs> and uh, they'd get a, a few hundred feet or maybe a few thousand feet down into the ground and they'd run into a high pressure oil uh, reserve and it would you'd get a blowout right get a so geyser get a yeah. geyser and, and and the like well. In, in 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 that that's a, a non not, not necessarily a um, that's not the good, usual day a, a on usual the job push, right yep now you you may get you may run into a, a, a high pressure formation that'll force oil and gas to the to the surface mm-hmm. but you really don't want it to, to go you don't want screwing around yeah. right and and moreover when you do drill drill wow, when you drill, drill yep. a uh, a five mile hole in the ground. It's not an empty hole. You yeah. fill it with water, and so there's a there's a column of uh, of uh, that provides hydrostatic pressure, and so it takes a very significant overpressure of a gas formation to overcome the the, the pressure all that of water, that water piled up. Right. Yep. So all that all that said, sure. there, it's 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 difficult to know whether you've found oil or gas uh, at the bottom of your four, four mile deep hole. So Schlumberger's business was to create measurement systems, tools, if you will, they called them, uh, with sensors that you would drop down the borehole, and uh, uh, you would measure various characteristics of the subsurface formation. Mm-hmm. And people built models that, based on those various measurements, you plug it into a model, and 
uh, the model would tell you that, yeah, it looks like you've got, uh, in, in this very short section, you've got oil or you've got gas. Mm-hmm. And you measure the the pore space, which is the empty space of the rock. Mm-hmm. And that's filled with, if it's not filled with water, it's filled with oil or gas. Mm-hmm. And you measure the connectedness of the pore space, uh, which is called permeability. So mm-hmm. all the little pieces or empty spaces within the rock, if they're connected together, well, then you have a highly permeable volume or highly permeable material. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're not well connected, you have a low permeability uh, 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 formation. Shale mm-hmm. uh, is a very low permeability uh, formation. So okay. Wyoming and uh, Montana and up into Canada have oil shales, which are filled with enough oil and gas to run the world for centuries. Wow. There's huge amounts up there. It happens to be an extremely low permeability material, mm-hmm. so you can't get it out. Right. Or you couldn't get it out until people discovered fracking. Gotcha. All right. So, I, I just, 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 this is all just a quick reason. What you bump into when you drill a hole. Yeah, and, 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 and there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of analysis going on, and there's a lot of money involved. Yeah. Uh, a, a big drilling rig can be running you tens of thousands of dollars a day, mm-hmm. if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a day, uh, just sitting there drilling. Yep. And so when you. When you are, are ready to make a decision to do the take the next step, you want to do it quickly, and you and you want to make a good decision. And there are relatively few, or at that time, there were relatively few people that could make those kind of decisions sure. and commit that kind of money uh, and the like. And and so, at the beginning, regular, yes, you uh, you had to send those very smart people and subsequently very expensive, expensive people, people yep to the well site and to uh, basically an idle well site yep and, and you know we need to shorten the amount of time till we can actually re- pull, pull some uh, revenue generating material out of the earth absolutely uh and so uh Stormerger was in the business of trying to make those people more effective mm-hmm. make them more cost effective and so we started out with the the, 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 the original service. Lumberger ran their, their service at the well site. They created a, uh, a strip chart recorder called a log, mm-hmm. uh, which had measurements on it. And the, the, the decision guy would go to the well site. He'd get the logs. He would look at the logs and make a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're going to... We're going to commit to setting casing, which meant that we're going to put pipe down here. We're going to pump concrete in. Very expensive operation. Mm-hmm. And having set the casing, we're going to go down to this level. I've got a, I've got a, uh, I've got a 12,000 foot deep well, and between 9,550 and 9,570 feet, there's a formation that contains oil. And so we need to set casing beyond that and then go down inside the casing and blow a hole through the casing out into the formation to allow the oil to flow into the casing and be pumped up to the surface. So you're basically, if I understood that correctly, they're making a decision to create a pipe right. inside of the, the well that the, the they've drilled. Hole. So you've got a right. borehole, 
which is rough. It's got dirt and junk and everything else in it. And now they're going to decide how much pipe, literally, to drop down into that hole to anchor it or surround it in concrete in some way to stabilize it. Right. And then they're going to drop another explosive down there at some point to blow that casing at a known place to allow the material to then flow up through the exactly the pipe. Okay. All, all the way, right? Cool. So you got you you've made some extremely profound decisions about the well. Right. And uh, if if the if the the, the the guys that could do that make those decisions were relatively limited. Mm-hmm. And if uh, if they were at one well site that they weren't they weren't in another a different well site. Exactly. So to make those more efficient, the whole the whole Sumberger model at the time was to try to allow those people to stay back in their office, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. uh, which might be in the, in New York City or, or right. whatever. They stay in their office, and all of the data would come to them. They could look at it. They could run their models. They could uh, use big computers to help modeling. Mm-hmm. They could make their decision, and they could make a phone call back to the well site to issue instructions mm-hmm. uh, of what's to what's to go on, right? So the, the, the solving that communication problem between a remote well site and an office location, if you will, was addressed mm-hmm. in a couple of uh, or several steps. Right. So the first step was to provide the, the, the digital computers that helped in the analy- analysis in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then second, uh, and, and, and the typical digital computer that was powerful enough to do that was a mainframe computer. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a laptop uh, as oh, no, we know no. today. It was a, a big room size computer, uh, very expensive, uh, and uh, required lots and lots of support. So there yep. weren't very many of them around. Uh, so you, you, you provided a mainframe mm-hmm. initially. You physically transported data from the well site through a car, an airplane, what have you, and uh, uh, bring it back to the mainframe, and the, the the expert could go have an office next to the door to the mainframe, which right. was a little more convenient than getting them to a well site, right? Correct. Uh, because now I could have data flowing back from several well sites. Mm-hmm. The an- analysis expert is right there and, and uh, could handle handle several of them. Uh, the next stage in the evolution was to allow them not to necessarily have an office next door to the mainframe, but to be located in a few cities. Uh, uh, Slumberger at the time had essentially 13 cities around the country, mm-hmm. which were located very near large oil and gas development efforts. Right. And so the experts from various companies could be located at those places. So... Right. Uh, you, you, you move data uh, from the well site into the adjacent city. Sure. And then you access the mainframe through a remote job entry station. So that And that's kind of where we left things that's with where the we last left episode. Yeah. So at least you've got you've got um, the data, the access to the analysis computing. You've got all that, let's say, in a regional office now. Right. Uh, but you still need to trek that data from the well site to that regional office. You do, and you need to worry about how once you, you've you gotten a decision maker mm-hmm. to look at the data, 
he somehow has to communicate his decision back to the well site. Exactly. So because there weren't no telephones at that time. Right. So you you've you've got the physical transfer of the data tapes from the well site to the regional office, and now the regional office guy um, or gal, the 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 the, uh, the geologist, the the expert surveyor. That person can do what they need to do, get their analysis, and the best they have at that point is that line printer that we just spoke of a few minutes ago. Neat, 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 neat. Here's what you need to do for this well site. So now that piece of paper, that information needs to make its way back to the well site to make the adjustment or to move ahead with whatever the next step is. Right. And uh, and and so uh, the 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 the. Um the marketing people within Schlumberger. There you uh, go. Very, very smart young man. Uh, uh, took a look at that problem and said, hmm, what you guys need to do is to provide a satellite connection, communication channel back to the well site. Right? So how now, do you do that? Now, how? where did... Do you have any view into how that person came up with that idea? Was it? Was it just basically... In the backdrop of the space race, the the fact that we were slinging satellites up into orbit at that time, and what was it? It wasn't as it was. It was certainly a huge step forward for um, oil field data, and 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 in that market. But was there something? And I'm not taking anything away from it, but I'm just trying to understand the the culture at the time, right? So we live in a world now where. Uh, a, a billionaire, a several-time billionaire, engineered a way to land a rocket back on the pad right next to where it took off. So if I tried to say that to, say, my son or, you know, someone <laughs> just born today, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that, that, of course. I mean, they, they can, that rockets do that. Right. But back in the time when, when this project was getting started, what, what sort of environment, you know, was that super cutting edge was that like oh yeah let's see if we can do that kind of stuff well there there yes it, it was super cutting edge in, in a couple of ways but the, the the culture that made it reasonable if you will mm-hmm. was that uh, running physical wire uh between cities and in particular across the ocean was an expensive difficult thing at mm-hmm. that time okay so Getting a dedicated physical channel between Oklahoma City and Houston, for example, uh, getting a, a, a telephone line, if you will, between those two mm-hmm. uh, places, uh, getting getting a standard telephone line, which is a 3,000 hertz, basically a 3,000 hertz channel, mm-hmm. uh, was not too big a deal. Getting what at that time was characterized as a T1 line, which was a, a, a one and a half, I think one and a half megabit channel, okay. was a big deal. Very right. expensive, yes. very hard to do. And uh, IBM, a big uh, uh, computer, the computer company of the day. And they were actually called uh, Big Blue in some big circles. Big Blue in circles, yep. yep. Um, they had decided to jump in and try to address this in competition with the bell companies with the telephone companies okay by not using physical cable but to use a satellite mm. so you put a put a geosynchronous satellite up that sets up over the uh, 
equator at the uh, in line with uh, if you look straight north with uh, central United States mm-hmm. and you have an an- antenna on the satellite that's looking down and can can see quote unquote see uh, uh, all of the U- United States or the lower 48 anyway mm-hmm. and so if you could put an earth station at any location uh, Arthur, Arthur Clark, Clark a science fiction writer, uh, told us back in the 1940s or 30s or so that, hey, geosynchronous satellites are going to be really interesting because yes. they set at a fixed location up over the equator. And that means that with an Earth station, you look at a particular point in the sky, and that's all you need to do mm-hmm. because the satellite's going to stay right there. Always be there. And it's going to be in the in the same relative location to that Earth station on the ground. And so, uh, big deal. So IBM, yep. IBM thought, hmm, cool. We'll put up our own satellites, mm-hmm. and we will put Earth stations in all of the major cities around the, the nation, mm-hmm. and we will essentially sell uh, circuits uh, between cities. Uh, going through our satellite, their, their satellite system, their, it was actually called Satellite Business Systems, SBS, a uh, subsidiary owned by IBM, or I think I think it was wholly owned by IBM, but if okay. not, IBM was a, a, a major uh, investor in it. Sure. And so you could, you, could, you could get pretty much T1 or multiple T1 class channels, so you could get multi-megabit megabit channels uh, between major cities uh, through a satellite link, and yeah. so this was this was the backdrop of the day. Satellites, this is what was happening. Yeah, and satellites this, were coming along right. as ways to move data, mm-hmm. and so uh, uh, a, a, a young man and I, I'm, I'm avoiding using names. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah no, but. but uh, the, the young man, the very smart guy, uh, mm-hmm. very smart uh, young man uh, from Rice University, I should say. Of course, yes. Of course. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he recognized the, the, the value sure. of uh, being able to get a, uh, and, and, the, and the physical prospect, possibility of getting a high-speed data channel yeah. at a well site based on using a geosynchronous satellite. Just leapfrog the problem. That's yeah. right. It, stop fighting with wires and... All the terrestrial headaches go right. all the way to satellite. Just go all the way to satellite. So you mm-hmm. you have an Earth station at the well site, and uh, uh, you transmit uh, data at a very high speed back into uh, a single point, and, and and then you can make use of additional channels to get from that single point to some other point. So so these Earth stations, though. I'm leading you. Yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> so the uh, these Earth stations—they're pretty small, right? Yeah, these were these were these were uh, uh, more on the order of, of uh, five meter, uh, you know, fifteen foot diameter dishes. Big dudes. Big dudes. Uh, and more to the fact that what more interesting is that they uh, they they were functioned at a uh, in a frequency range called C band. Uh, which was um, uh, a frequency range of uh, of uh, uh, I gosh I, 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 I'll, I'll go away but I want to say is it's, it's around uh, uh, five uh, megahertz uh, 
gigahertz. Five, excuse me, five gigahertz. Okay. All right. Uh, is, is the frequency for for C band is around I think around five gigahertz or so. Uh, and 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 so you use that not only that that that's what was called a terrestrial microwave mm. frequency band. Okay. And so that's what was used on the ground to put up a microwave network across the country, not satellite-based, mm-hmm. but, but simply the large point to point stuff. Point you see these stuff. on top of buildings and so forth yep. as well. Yeah. And so if you had a C-band and earth station at a well site, you actually had to go through what was called a frequency coordination step yep. to make sure that when you put in your earth station, you weren't going to interfere with channels that were already in place. I work with uh, one of my college buddies went to work for that type of a company he's worked there his entire career and they literally map out in three dimensions uh basically right of ways uh for microwave communication and everything else so they've developed an entire system that literally creates a 3d model of not just what you want to do their their client whoever they are you want to communicate from this building to this building over here well, here's what everything else is around it that you have to navigate through. So, yeah, yeah uh, probably a little less going on in, in the airwaves 50 years ago, and, and it just, that problem hasn't gone away. So no. It's amazing. It's, well, it, it, was, it was already a big problem yeah. at, at that time. Cool. So, uh, they, 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 you know, like, like any good marketer, right, you say, you know, this is, <laughs> this is great. You put an earth station out here. Sure. And you get this high-speed channel, and you transmit the data back, and they uh, and you do the analysis on it, and the decision maker sits in his office, and he can he can move data back and forth between. You can not only get from the well site in, but you can get from in back to the well site, right? Uplink and downlink, we think of mm-hmm, it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can go in both both directions, right? And 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 so. Uh, so concept-wise, concept wise, he's spot on. Right. It's just the implementations that's just, just a little bit outside. Yep. Just just got to just got two or three little wrinkles that you got to yep. you got to worry about, right? And so when I when I mentioned then that 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 the, this second project or second project for mm-hmm. me, a second major project, had some profound elements to it. Perhaps the most significant element to it all was legal. Uh, the, the most, one of the most uh, 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 primary people involved in all of this was uh, a, a lady that was an attorney uh, for a law firm in Washington D.C. that that worked uh, uh, did filings for the Federal Communication Commission. Okay. Yeah. This was perhaps the most profound aspect of this whole project. Right. It was a was a legal a legal wrinkle that um, and uh, that, that 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 was was a, a needed to be managed. It was a coup de gras, uh, mm-hmm. if if you will. the the po- The point being that that uh, so uh, the, the 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 marketing people sold the idea that we ought to have a a uh, be able to put a satellite link out to a well site at the well site, right? And the this caught the interest of not just the wireline organization, but it caught the attention of the highest levels of management within the Slumbershade Corporation. Mm-hmm. And it kind of came down as a as an edict that this is this is something that Slumberger ought to do. 
So it instantly became a priority at the highest levels because yeah. the, the, the utility of it was obvious to everyone. And now you just got it. Okay, so you've got management behind you. They're like, go sort this out. And and you've got you've got a marketing organization that's already Chomping got it at the sold. Bit. They've, <laughs> they've already yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, as usual, they're when, way out over everybody's skis. Absolutely. When 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 can we sell this? When when can we write a? We start to write a, an invoice for this. They've this already figured out the price because yeah. because the value spoke for itself. It it did it yep. did. Uh, and so uh, a, a couple of, uh, of, of uh, you know, little side issues came came into play at this point. Uh, one. So we're uh, masters at understatement, by oh, the way. We just you know, yeah. deadpan right through that. So yep. hurdle number one is? Uh, hurdle number one is well, where are you going to do this project? Right. So you made, you've made the decision that we ought to build a satellite earth station for a truck that can go to a well site. Everything else is probably just trivial details. But uh, where are we going to do this? Okay. Uh, Schlumberger Engineering at that time was located in Houston, Texas. It was located out on out on the Gulf Freeway, right. which is the freeway between downtown Houston and Galveston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And if you went uh, a few miles uh, out from downtown Houston on the Gulf Freeway, you were in the industrial side of Houston, right? And uh, for field engineers that had had uh, operated, uh, if you will, in their own little world, yeah. everywhere in the United States, uh, very remote locations and the like, uh, the, the industrial side of Houston wasn't, a big deal, right? mm-hmm. a good place to work, good sure. place to go. Yep. Uh, when you tried to attract people that uh, were more delicate in nature, if you will, <laughs> yeah. put it that way, <laughs> that uh, that like to do software development, and and, 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 and and I have to laugh now because uh, we've seen over the last uh, couple of weeks the characterization of the of the typical software engineers that work for Twitter. Uh, uh, as, as a, as and, a, and what as a, passes for high tech in the terms of a guy with three letters FTX? Yeah. Right. So yeah. So a, anyway, so this we're, we're talking fifty years ago. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the, but at, at that point, Still, it, it became yeah. it became obvious that when you when you start to hire uh, try to hire people that will work on these particular problems. Uh, it sometimes was was getting to be a little bit difficult to get mm-hmm. them to relocate to, to work on the industrial side of Houston. Yeah. Now I, I was right on the cusp of this, and that, mm-hmm. that that I I, uh, I I had pretty good academic credential credentials. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I grew up in Western Oklahoma. The industrial side of Houston looked like. Great. Sure. They, they, got, they got running water and air conditioning. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And indoor indoor plumbing. Indoor plumbing. It was, plumbing it was really yeah. cool. Yeah. So so, I was kind of on the cusp, right? Sure. I, it, yeah. it, this this project wasn't designed for me, or the the idea of where you develop it wasn't didn't have right. me particularly in mind. But as uh, the company's looking more strategically down the road and saying, this isn't going to be the end of this. Right. This, this is, this and, is and leading there, to this, this, and this. Right, yeah. and, there, and there are lots of other very high-tech uh, activities that we'd like to undertake, and we'd like to in- yep. bring in good people. So the point being that, that there was a move afoot uh, to build some 
engineering centers mm-hmm. and, if you will, perhaps more attractive areas sure. around the world, right? Yep. So this wasn't just a United States issue. The same thing was going on in Asia, in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and the like. So the, the idea was that uh, as the, uh, the folks in Houston looked around, they kind of came down to saying, ah, Austin, Texas mm-hmm. is an interesting place in the state of Texas. It, uh, it, not too uh, far away. Not too far away, but uh, it's got lakes, it's got a university, it's got state government. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty place. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Austin at that time had the characteristic that people came from all over the nation or all over Texas to go to college mm-hmm. at the University of Texas, and they never left. Yep. Right? They just didn't want to be mm-hmm. out of Austin. So... You, you came here, you stayed. And we've seen that with the company, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> People transfer over from overseas, and they really kind of like being in Texas. Yeah, so, yeah. It, it's not a bad place. So, they, 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 in looking around, um, they, the powers that be mm-hmm. thought, oh, Austin would be a good place. They also thought that the, the Triangles area of North Carolina would be a good place yeah. as well. Uh, but they, they, they suddenly realized that, or that just not suddenly they realized or they knew that in, in the course of things that well, all things being equal, it was probably be a little bit better to be a couple of hundred miles yeah away from the 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 main corporate headquarters in the United States in Houston right uh, rather than a thousand or fifteen hundred miles away sure and so Austin uh, was selected was a selected. And the idea was uh, to build a beautiful, uh, and indeed it was a beautiful mm-hmm. facility here in Austin, and the development of a well-site satellite communication system was going to be one of the very first big projects uh, of, the, of the Austin of, of research the Austin, site. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so and I, I had been doing uh, uh, communication work uh, with the uh, remote job entry stations and the like in, mm-hmm. in Houston, so I was I was uh, at least on the permanent engineering staff, and was kind of uh, uh, knowledgeable about that problem. I, I understood satellite systems. I hadn't mm-hmm. worked with them, but I understood the physics involved. Right. And so I was was presented, presented with the opportunity of relocating to Austin and to work on the project. I, right. I, so I, I I was was one of the the technical contributors to uh, to that project. In so that Austin. move for that creation of the Austin uh, research facility for Schlumberger, that was maybe 79, 80, somewhere around there? Started, it started in 81. It started in 81. Yeah. And that was at some, you know, they hadn't built the facility. I mean, and, and we just talk about it as the facility because you're right, it, it was a jewel uh, for Schlumberger uh, in the hills out on 620. Um and you, 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 first time I visited it, I was uh, working for a different company, and we were partnered with part of Schlumberger, uh, the, the Smart Cards and Terminals group. Um, and I went looking on MapQuest at the time because I had the address. And first of all, uh, Texas has strange road numbering schemes compared to you know folks back east. So everybody else in the world. Yeah, everybody else in the world. So. You know, when you're looking at, what was it, 8311 North 
FM 620. Right. And then you go down the road a little bit further, and it's not FM 620, it's RM 620. It's the same road. And then somebody finally explains to you that, well, that's what, here's what the R means, and here's what the M means. It's ranch to market, farm to market. So you, you have this network of roads that are basically numbers that have letters in front of them. And that's a perfectly good road in, in Texas, and it, it, it meant something to someone at one point. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, FM 620 North and uh, just tucked off that little two-lane road, which is now uh, four lanes with a suicide lane down the middle of it, and uh, just tucked back in the trees on this canyon. Um, yeah, so that was that facility opened, what, in 88, 87? Oh, no, it actually, it, it opened in uh, 80, I want to say 85. 85, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was constructed fairly quickly, or at least they must have broken ground just about as you guys were up in the uh, temporary facilities. Up yeah, for, for very, just, very much so. So I, yeah. I moved here in early uh, 1982, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so we were located in a, uh, in a temporary facility uh, on the on the north side of Austin, mm-hmm. uh, off of uh, like McNeil what, or what something. At that time, well, yeah, it was basically McNeil and 183, mm-hmm. and uh, 183 at that time was uh, was the the uh, second highest uh, fatality rate uh, highway in wow. the state of Texas, second only to ranch to market uh, or, or farm to market twenty two twenty two, oh, yeah. which was five miles south, which was the highest fatality uh, highway. <laughs> uh, matter of fact... Uh, was it just everybody screaming down uh, Tumbleweed Hill or... or well, what, what, it's, <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a... It was very... Uh, 22 FM 2222 is a very windy two-lane road at that time. Oh yeah, you're okay. I'm thinking and, west, and, yeah. but yes, once you cross 360 and you're heading in toward the city, oh yeah, that's a. Uh, yeah. So that, it's very it was a very yeah. windy road, and it, it, yep. it, it, it really enticed everyone to drive their car at far too high a rate of speed. Oh yeah, and uh, there were just lots of crashes and lots sure. of people killed. Well, 183 was only slightly better than that. Uh, it was uh, four lane, uh, at, at least from the time I came, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, pretty lacking. And it was it was four lanes, but it was not uh, uh, interstate highway class construction. So mm-hmm. it was still lots of uh, squirrely. Uh, yeah, lots of collisions. As a matter of fact, uh, a, a, a prominent bum- bumper sticker at the time was "Pray for me, I drive 183." Wow. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. that so was anyway. a that temporary facility that yep. uh, that we moved into, and uh, as I say, I moved in early in 1982. Okay, the uh, the uh, satellite, what I always call the the, the satellite project, uh, was underway at that time. It, it it pretty much started about the same time that I moved to, moved to Austin, and uh, we started uh, significant deployment. Of the Finnish system in 1985. Cool. Uh, so, so it went out. So, so I think we framed it up pretty well. We've we've set up that um, you know the next project was to take this to satellite communication. We established that uh, Schlumberger decided it needed to make a change in its uh, research facility, its R&D profile around the world, and had decided on Austin as as the site for that. 
and the first major program because there are many um, that was to, to be undertaken in that Austin site, or at least with that team, was the satellite communication to well sites. And I, I'm just I'm heading us off at the pass here because I I know once we start talking about how you you know the the, the FCC story is is fascinating. Uh, I'm just yep. sharing with you all that that that's that's a good bit of story there. And the the team that you worked with built, you know, basically how to get that dish where you needed it and not dealing with, uh, you know, a five meter thing that basically needs concrete to sit on and and all of that. That's not too portable when you get a nice portable truck out there that that is this set up to go. That that doesn't have a lot of extra room in it anyway. Nope. It's already got a, it's already got a computer and a dark room and a a copy room and, uh, and an office for the field engineer and and uh, a place for the uh, for for a, a court company uh, client representative to sit and watch everything you know so yeah there's there's not a lot of space available right so uh, yes yeah and 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 that whole thing fascinates me just having at least uh, I never fired a shot in anger with my uh, my engineering degree I went straight into software but uh, the whole concept of vibration analysis and creating an impulse you know like so you were talking about the um dropping the explosives in, in certain places measuring that didn't didn't those trucks also have like what i would call a thumper like oh, a, a like a big plate that just thung, yep whap it yep well, well or, it was more okay yes because you you uh you you really wanted a, a continuous wave train uh that was a relatively pure uh, yeah. uh signal okay right so an explosive uh, it's an impulse. It, it is an impulse, right? So you can measure that very well. But if you can actually provide a uh, a continuous wave train, like a sinusoidal, a sinusoidal excitement, yes, yeah, that 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 allows you to do much more uh, interesting modeling, interesting uh, yeah. efforts, uh, right? It's a little bit by the distinction between a flashlight and a laser, right? right. So, yeah. So so yeah. if uh, if you can uh, shine a laser at something, uh, very pure light, uh, single wave, uh, sing- single frequency, mm-hmm. everything is in lockstep, right? You, you can do much more interesting things than with a flashlight, right? right. So, well, let's leave the uh, the, the well, let's, project. Let, oh, let's, let, let's, 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 let's close uh, uh, before, just before okay. close, closing up, which I sense is where we're going well, I was going to go to, I was going to go to... Uh, we finally got that rocket launched, so. Okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll go there, but okay. I, I, I did want to make the, the, the comment that if you're, uh, if uh, uh, the, 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 the Austin engineering facility that was constructed was a beautiful facility, and if one is ever in Austin, mm-hmm. uh, what you want to do is find Concordia College mm-hmm. and go visit it, because that's what occupies the space that Schlumberger built at the time. And you won't? really recognize it though that, that so to me that's almost there's a eulogy that needs to be given to that site well i i wouldn't recognize <laughs> it but i think i think uh, I, I, if you if you understood the if you understand the full extent of that if you mm-hmm. think of concordia college as being not just the college that you see but the 400 acres of wilderness which is still present yeah. out there yeah uh you'll start to see the uh, the, uh understand the beauty of the the slumberger facility at the time which was 
uh, essentially 500 acres or 450 acres of pristine uh, hill country yep. uh, countryside uh, with uh, uh, about 18 acres of actual buildings constructed on that mm-hmm. uh, that were beautiful in their own right. Uh, uh, I, w- I w- will not recognize or don't recognize the place as I, as I knew it, mm-hmm. but the average layperson, I think, would still look at that and say, "This is a this is a pretty cool, cool, pretty cool place." Yep. So anyway, if you're never in Austin, yep. go visit Concordia, Concordia University. It used yeah. to be, um, so it's right out there on 620. It's pretty yeah. close to Rudy's as a as a marker. So yep. <laughs> you can. <laughs> there used to be a couple places, uh, yeah, Thundercloud Subs and all that kind of right down the street where we'd right. run off for lunch every now and then. So. Yeah, no, um, it, it is a, it, it's a beautiful area of Austin, um, and that's why they chose it. And there were also a lot of constraints that the city put on on Schlumberger in that the design and the, actually the implementation of those buildings and, and all of that. that uh, all right, I'll just say it. They threw it out the window because they, they needed the university to go out there so they could use the land by the highway in ways to make more money for them. So, yeah. but. It is still pretty if you can get down to the buildings and take a look around. Just just ignore the big flat parking lot that Schlumberger was never permitted to build, but the well, university could. Actually, I, 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 I was, would always characterize it. It was, wasn't clear that there, there were many aspects of that that Schlumberger was, was you know, urged into by the city. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the, the, the general uh, worldwide... Schlumberger attitude was heavily influenced by some people that were were deep into environmentalism mm-hmm. and, and abstract beauty in its own right, and you can you can you can see that or you could see that in the original construction. And that was a, that was a, it, like it was a great marriage of those two uh, you know, basically influences because yeah. It, you 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 had no comprehension of what the facility would actually be like because you couldn't see it <laughs> until you were actually walking up a, to it. A major a major design constraint uh, or construction of the facility is that from the parking lot, number one, you couldn't recognize that it was a parking lot. That that, that was a design mm-hmm. constraint. Mm-hmm. Number two, you could see no buildings from the parking lot. And conversely, you could not see the parking lot from any buildings. Yep. So, given those as constraints, it that was, objective was achieved. It was achieved, and it was always interesting to see people making their first trip in. They could, they could get their car parked, and then they would get out and start looking around. Where do I go? Where do I go? Because right. the, 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 there were it was it was frowned upon to have any kind of signs. Yes. Signage as well. So. The idea that you have a sign that says "Go this way" it was just completely out of the question. Yeah, so. and I think there was some accommodation to that by the time I got there, but they were just the little sticks. They were just these little sticks that had a letter for yeah. the building and a little arrow under it, and it was like you're literally on a trail, and, and you just found your way over. Um, yeah, so I was one of those people, like I was saying before my first trip out, I'd look up on MapQuest because that's what you did back in 2001. Uh, you look it up on MapQuest, and they had a satellite photo. That was really cool. And I was like, it's in the woods. There's a cul-de-sac that ends right next to this apartment building, but there's nothing back there. Who are you, are you trying to kid me here? 
So, uh, yeah, I, I, I spoke with a colleague, and he said, yeah, you just keep driving out the end of that. Um, you drive out the end of that uh, cul-de-sac. And it, it was kind of cool. You felt like you were driving into nothing. Right. And uh, it, it was back there. It was, it was really cool. So It, it, it was. It, 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 it was... Uh, it, it 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 only existed in that form for what twenty twenty five years or so mm-hmm. uh, before the the, 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 the real world <clears throat> called crept up, in yeah crept in and uh, but uh, I was fortunate enough to to uh, to overlap that uh, that twenty five years pretty pretty much with with my career and it was it was a marvelous place to uh, marvelous place to work. I got about four years in there myself and um, yeah <clears throat> just the. Might as well just wrap up on the facility just a little bit. We'll get to Artemis some other time, but because Artemis took its time, let's just let's it, just make it, it, it wait it, a little it, bit longer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and, uh, but it, uh, but, but it, it deserves its shot. I, I think there were um, there was a soccer field that um, Schlumberger owned the property, or at least had some sort of lease on it that you couldn't get to directly from. Um, from the facility you had to drive out to 620 and then you went back this little road back behind yeah. another apartment complex and uh various little organizations sprouted up um i know there was a significant um let's just say uh from the commonwealth nations folks who uh who were were posted to to austin and they'd have cricket tournaments you know yeah. they, they'd go out there and play cricket um little soccer club that i think well, that that little facility that little facility existed because our uh, our 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 mutual friend Bertrand Ducastel mm-hmm. loved soccer perhaps more than anything oh, yeah. else. And I remember the World Cup broadcasts; yeah. they'd have everybody in the auditorium for those. Yeah. Yep. Well, they so the the, the soccer field literally was a patch of pasture that uh, on the edge of the property that Bertrand got permission to turn into a soccer field awesome and so uh the the, the early days of that uh, were uh, the guys that wanted to play soccer going out and uh, literally moving rocks and uh, <laughs> and digging digging up uh, weeds if you will because we all know there's a few rocks around just a few right so yep. you had, had to reposition them a little bit but, very right. cool yeah that was a it was a beautiful facility it was um you you had sunlight pretty much everywhere um most of the offices were designed such that you had a a glass view into the hallway and then you had a, a big window out the back um every office had a, a at the time chalkboard right. then floor-to-ceiling whiteboard it was intended to my my what was told of me and what i basically observed was this is a paid professional academic environment with real-world deliverables, but it was built on collaboration. Right. The, the, central, uh, the central atrium feature in, uh, in uh, at least the two main buildings, uh, or the two main office buildings at the time, uh, were, uh, had, were planted with bamboo. And this is not your little bamboo. This is the industrial strength bamboo mm. that uh, uh, the, the central stalk of the bamboo would be about two inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. It grew 15 inches a day. Thereabouts, you'd literally, I could sit in my office and I swear I could watch, watch it, track it grow. Up. <laughs> yeah. But it would stretch from uh, uh, probably, what, 50, 60 feet 
from the the, 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 the atrium uh, area, mm-hmm. the central area, uh, was uh, 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 based to, to, to ceiling was mm-hmm. probably 60 feet or so, and yep. this bamboo would stretch the entire way, and it, it was it was perceived, it was selected, uh, I think, by uh, uh, some of the upper, well, maybe not the upper Maddies, but in Schlumberger, but by the uh, architectural firm mm-hmm. that was uh, charged by the upper echelons of Schlumberger to design the facility. Uh, the the bamboo was selected especially to uh, to uh, uh, thrive in to, that to thrive in that yeah, environment and exactly. the, the environment it, it it was it was fascinating. So the buildings that I recall, I think Building A was the main. Well, Little, so Building A had the auditorium in it, if I remember. Right. That's correct. It, it was kind of the entryway, if you will. So it it, it had a, it had the. Uh, the was that the, the same building with the general reception? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So the 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 the, 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 the receptionist were generally security. It was always uh, staffed by security guards. Yep. Uh, the, the, and and there was a, a conference room on one side, mm-hmm. and then the auditorium on the other side. Uh, and uh, and the like, and then that opened all onto a a beautiful esplanade that went uh, uh, what would have been uh, probably 100 meters, 150 meters down a hill to branch out to. So these were the catwalks, basically. These were these were elevated wood decks with some roof over parts of them, and it would go down, and then it would split off to the different buildings. So you were you were surrounded by trees. You could actually hear. Uh, there was a spring that came well, out the, from underneath the cafeteria, if I remember right. That's right. The, yeah. uh, the headwaters of Bull Creek there you here go. in Austinite. Uh, yeah. The headwaters was a spring that was under the, the uh, cafeteria, uh, building. cafeteria building. Right. Uh, 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 it was under the deck uh, that mm-hmm. was built out. Uh, so you, you literally, from a, a crosswalk or a catwalk, you could sit and, and look at the spring down, down underneath. Right? Mm-hmm. And it would bubble out the water, and that water became the... Uh, Bull Creek on the which is uh, flow, yep. flowed into uh, Lake Austin on the uh, on the, the the west side far west side of Austin. Yep. The, the that central walkway uh, was uh, uh, constructed out of a, a forest that was imported from Canada. Wow. There were there were there, were, there, were, there, there, there the the support beams. So so th- this was open uh, a wood framework which mm-hmm. which which framed the um, the the central walkway. Uh, the central beams were, I want to say, 18-inch square beams that were cut. Uh, as I say, they, they, they pretty much cut down a, a, a single forest in, a uh, in Canada yeah. that, that provided all the the, the major beams for uh, for that mm-hmm. facility. But uh, uh, if you're familiar with the plant uh, called wisteria, mm-hmm. uh, a vining plant that mm-hmm. was planted. Uh, all up and down the sides of, of that. Okay. So that grew up. That's where that the, came from. The beams and then grew mm-hmm. across the top. And wisteria has the interesting feature that it it, it it's a very early bloomer in the spring. Mm-hmm. And when it blooms, it blooms with flowers that look very much like uh, uh, groups of grapes. Mm-hmm. So literally, wisteria in bloom looks like grapevine with grapes. Yeah, ripe grapes, uh, purple grapes, and like, and it has the most 
uh, most pungent, sweet I can smell odor. it right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, uh, and, it's and, coming back. I remember walking through these canopies, just going, yeah. "Wow!" It, yeah. it, it, if you if you hit it when that was in bloom for mm-hmm. uh, for uh, several weeks in the spring, it was uh, it was just uh, yep. mind altering to, uh, to, to to walk down. So beautiful. So were you in Building F the whole time, or were you in no, Building Charlie? C I was I was in Building C. C. Yeah. C, yeah. 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 yeah the uh, uh, Building F was always the building dedicated to the. Uh, uh, systems, Smart. the computer systems that okay. went into the trucks. Mm. That was that was always building F. Building C was uh, uh, kind of general. Well, it it was a variety of pro- okay. different other projects. Okay, that gotcha. were that were, but, but but the satellite system uh, and other subsequent uh, telemetry uh, data communication systems were were found in that. And okay. Between the two, or off the side between the two was the cafeteria building mm-hmm. right and yep. then uh, so that was that was if you as you walked in from the the entry uh, building mm-hmm. you walked down those were the buildings to the right to yes. the left was uh, was a, a, an additional office building and then the warehouse building was yeah. next to it so that was, that was pretty much the, uh, <laughs> the pretty sure the warehouse buildings where I went to get my badge and there was a guy back there that you know I, I met him twice in the four years I was there, I think. Um, and he had this beautiful engineer, artist-type rendering of the the campus. And so there were these buildings up where, up near where Walmart is now, kind of in the back corner, that was going to be some more traditional-type buildings above ground. I mean, they were kind of running out of trees up in that direction, not totally, but... They certainly weren't built into the side of the canyon like like everything else was. Right. And it was fun. I mean, even when I got there, like at uh, 2001, and really started my first full day of work in 2002. Um, and uh, I, I said, "Oh wow!" So that's the plan. And he looks up and he goes, "Well, that was the plan." <laughs> <laughs> so already at that point, there was already a. Uh, a little bit of uh, cost cutting and, and just basically general consolidation. I mean, because all these things go through pendulums. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, but yeah, th- those, that was, I'm, it was a short period of time there. Um, but I, I really, it's one of those places where you didn't mind going into work. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was, uh, it was just a very different place. And it, and it, was, it was the only place I ever worked really that had a, I mean, it, it wasn't like Twitter where you get uh, free food or whatever and whatever, but um, you didn't hesitate. And, I, and I've, I've heard stories because uh, the chef that, that you knew well and uh, our fellow colleagues knew well, there was you really kind of did put at the top of your list going to the cafeteria versus going off campus. Yeah, and, uh, very much so. So uh, Exo came in and it became a little more corporate, but... Yeah, you made that work too. You got to know the guy that was putting together the pitas, and you'd say, "Hey, oh, Mr. Newman, your your usual." And uh, <laughs> that's well, kind of how it rolled. It was it was a it was a uh, it was a it was a it was a I want to say characteristic. It was a it was a tradition uh, with uh, within Stomberger, the Stomberger Engineering Facility in Houston. Mm-hmm. That uh, that was the training facility for uh, Stomberger. Uh, uh, certainly in, in North America, but North America, South America, uh, they they had schools, literally schools for teaching 
uh, interpretation for teaching logging, they would bring uh, field engineers in there for, mm-hmm. for training and the like. And so it was a uh, something of a of a, a standard feature that there would be a cocktail hour uh, at oh, four yeah. o'clock on Fridays. Mm-hmm. And so that was the that was the time when all of the students for the various schools would would come out, and all of the managers, who, what they were all ex field engineers, mm-hmm. they would come out to meet the new incoming field engineers, mm-hmm. right? So every school that uh, that came through uh, on Friday evening at four, they would have a cocktail party. Uh, everybody. Uh, that that could swing it uh, would would come to the cocktail party. Number number one, they had they had bowls of boiled shrimp. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> you 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 put your plastic bag in your coat pocket and filled it up with. Well, we shrimp about rounded up was, here. All right, I'll help you. Uh, I'll you help know, you. Out. Yeah. But it, it, that, and that was a, that was a, that was a feature when uh, when I worked that, sure. that uh, you had a cocktail party every every Friday and, and you had boiled shrimp uh, at the along with other things at the cocktail party. Well, that carried over to the to the Austin facility at mm-hmm. least for the first few years. Yeah, uh, we would have uh, we would have uh, generally on Friday afternoons. Uh, last thing they they'd throw a throw a, a mm-hmm. cocktail party in the cafeteria with lots of. Uh, lots you had of that deck, food. and you had the the yeah. big open uh, restaurant area in just inside the deck with those huge windows and everything. So it was it was like it was like a. A, a space you would expect at a at a nice high end hotel, right. really. I mean, as far as the the physical presence of the place, it was it was it was beautiful. And it was a, it was a good time. That it really wasn't. It was it was a uh, a good accent for communication. You mm-hmm. you, you, you could visit with uh, with people that you, you could see them any time during the week. But sure. this was a time that you could sit around and have more general conversations. And you didn't have to go anywhere. I mean, it was literally between your office and your car yeah. so it's not like these days we're in we're in these shared tenant offices and they um you know they're doing the best they can but they'll try to do things off-site or whatever and it's way off-site and and now things are obviously different after covid um but even before that it was a little contrived to try to get people together for a, a special event yeah. even if it's a recurring special event and I think you'd mentioned also they would have guest speakers in at various times as well. That kind of became a, a uh, kind of an employee-driven thing, but ultimately very. It just added to the the mystique, the um, just the value of of working there. Right. So. Well, well cool. it was it was kind of the best of, of what at, at that in that day you you came to think of as the uh, some of the uh, uh, excesses of uh, of Silicon Valley. Uh, if you will, uh, when, you, when you heard about uh, you yep. know, what, what, what what various social amenities existed, uh, mm-hmm. that was the that was the Texas variant of uh, of, of that. Not, probably not quite as it was still pretty grounded. We, yeah, we didn't it, have the volleyball courts right outside right. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't uh, Apple of the day, uh, and I visited all of those facilities in uh, mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. Uh, it it, it, it it wasn't quite to that extreme on the other hand it was a it was a nice uh, uh, on the in the the spectrum if you will getting from uh, from Silicon Valley to uh, Southeast Houston it was uh, it was a nice place along the spectrum there yeah I, I probably bored you with 
some of my history at Silicon Graphics Computer Systems there in uh, in Sunnyvale, and um, <laughs> they they had when when I first joined Silicon Graphics, it was in '96. Um, we'd go out there for training on whether it was the operating systems or the hardware. I was a system support engineer, so I was basically post sales support in the Tidewater area of Virginia, Hampton, Newport News. A lot of military, a lot of um, just basically flight simulators and a, and a couple of um, large-sized uh, computers at the time, the Origin series and, and Challenger and Onyx and and uh, was Onyx and uh, I forget the other one. But basically, um, we got there for training, and the first trip's out, we go like to Building 22, and I'm like, where's Building 22? It had its own address. It was... It wasn't anywhere on campus. It was just a building that that had a slumberjay or not a slumber had a silicon graphic sign out out front. You go in and training, and then because they were finishing up their their primo facility, which uh, I think in '98 I finally got out there to visit um, to to visit that, and that's the one that had the volleyball court outside, massive cafeteria, uh, bean bags everywhere. I mean, it was foosball the whole the whole nine yards. And I'm still working with the same people that I've been working with for two years, and and they're almost rolling their eyes. They're, I mean, these are these are guys that inspect core dumps for a living, you know. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, I don't, know. I never have time for that. I'm usually getting core dumps from Asia by the time the the happy hours firing up. So anyway, um, but now that's the Googleplex. <laughs> so Silicon Graphics is it still exists somehow. But it uh, it basically hit its heyday in '98, and and I I rolled on into the world of smart cards at that point, which is when I first ever heard. I, I had heard of Slumberjay at Virginia Tech because uh, a lot of my uh, classmates were going off into proper oil field uh, work in Houston and, and elsewhere from from Virginia Tech, and so I had heard the name. And one of the first cards that I was handed as a, a young software engineer at this little company called 3GI was a box that had the Slumberger logo on the side of it, and uh, that, that pretty much sealed my fate for you know, <laughs> through a few curves down here to Austin to be actually at Slumberger. So it's kind of fun. Well, uh, good chat today. Thanks, Tim. Little 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 eclectic today, but uh, that's how we roll. That's that's what we got to do. Yeah, and uh, all that matters is that we enjoyed it, and um, let's pick it up again after Thanksgiving. That'll be great. I have, hope you'll have a good trip to uh, Minnesota. Thank you. Have a good uh, a good holiday, and we'll see you uh, in the in the see you in the December. In the December's. All right. Take care, Tim. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap on episode seventeen of the Mike Newman Show. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we look forward to catching up with Tim uh, when we get back in a couple weeks. Uh, get back down there to the to the diner and talk a little bit more about uh, where this goes and how eventually we we get to space. And uh, in the meantime, I uh, hope you have the opportunity to listen to this show on a new podcast app, and you can find one of those over at newpodcastapps.com. And that'll take you actually to a place called the Podcast Index, which has a listing of uh, basically it's a it's a repository of data on all of the feeds out there of podcasts that exist. And uh, a lot of work and curation goes into that system uh, by the folks at podcastindex.org, which is a, 
completely volunteer operation, and uh, it's a, it's it's run off of a, a basically a philosophy called value for value. That uh, people who find uh, value in either listening to a podcast or uh, creating an application or using an application or uh, just various ways of uh, you know experiencing value uh, have the opportunity to um, give it back to the producers directly without uh, a bunch of middlemen in, in between. And uh, there's a website called Value for Value with the number four there in the middle. Dot info uh, that basically explains this philosophy and and how it's uh, worked for um, you know a lot of people who've given it a go and in that regard uh, that's that's how we're going here with with this podcast uh, there's no special subscription there's no um, you know I'm not really going to beg for money it's it's like hey if you if you find that you've uh, taken something interesting from this podcast if it took you to a place you haven't uh, really thought of in a long while if you've been in the tech industry or something and you're like oh yeah I remember those uh, those mag tapes or those uh, punch cards or you know we, we were a little bit beyond that but um, it's just a different time and uh, hit us up uh, through one of those uh, new podcast apps uh, send us some satoshis or send us a boostergram with uh, message feedback or comment and all those all that little uh, language there about boostergrams and uh, Satoshi's. That's all. That's all part of uh, what we're doing as part of Value for Value, and in podcasting 2.0, uh, and really just getting started. So, uh, thanks again for joining us, and look forward to uh, catching y'all later. John three seventeen.